0: Hello, and welcome to Chatty AF, the Anime Feminist podcast. My name is Vry Kaiser. I'm the, uh, I'm an editor and contributor at Anime Feminist. And with me today is Amelia, Jax, and Lizzie. And we are backed with our watch of Michiko and Hatchin. Uh, this week, we covered episodes 7 through 12. There's a lot to get to. But before we started, Lizzie, you had something you wanted to clarify from last week's discussion.
1: Yeah, last week, Amelia brought up a good... Um about wanting to be specific when it comes to talking about people of color in regards to Michiko and Hachin due to my nervousness last of last week that's my first podcast i forgot to mention the c- in the context of the show i am referring to black and black brown characters and not non-black latinos and non-black mestiz- mestizos um and and latinos and have have a general neutral term which is everyone has seen the x and and the e the E, I i use specifically Latine because um, um folks with disabilities with reading devices have pointed out that it's hard for their devices to like understand the x so they've called for more usage of e so now i use that in regards to when i'm talking about my like when it comes to my identity of Quechua and Mestizé, so I use that in in that context. But to explain terminologies of what do I mean by non-black Latinos, non-black Mestizos, it's like, you know, you can think of, like an example of skin-based representation as Gina Rodriguez and J.Lo, but the term Latino itself, which was imposed by the French, is describes folks who are from Latin America and the Caribbean and has a history of colonization from Spain and Portugal and any other European um, country that I'm probably missing in the conversation. In general, Latino and Hispanic are actually problematic terms. But you know, for the sake of the podcast, I'll keep it simple. Lastly, mestizo is a racial category that means mixed race, but refers specifically to people of Spanish, Portuguese, and indigenous descent for the most part are assimilated there are d- there are different and complicated racial categories throughout latin america and the caribbean which was done on purpose to erase black afro-indigenous and indigenous ancestry it is important to note that in the modern day context that black and afro-indigenous and indigenous people still face systemic violence in all forms to this day in general latinidad has a vested interest in white supremacy but for the sake of simplicity i'll end it here but from he- from here f- on forward, I, when I'm talking about the show, I'll be specific in my wording when we're talking about characters. So I'll be using black and black brown characters, like in terms of my wording when I'm talking about like folks in the show. For more information, you can check out Kat Laszlo's video on Can Latinos Benefit from White Privilege? Because I feel like she does a good job of dissecting that mess. You know, there are classes and courses on this. I mean, you know, there's so many different racial categories that I it, it will take way longer than two hours to talk about it. But uh, but, for this, but for the sake of the show, I wanted to be really specific. So because I was nervous last week, I didn't clarify what I meant. So from, from here on forward, I will be l- using... Uh, Black and Black-Brown to describe the characters in the show, especially the kids in the show who um, go through the most marginalization, so yeah. And I give the mic back to everyone, because I don't know where to start with this.
0: (laughs) All right, so um, before we kind of get into the meat of this week's episode, I wanted to briefly bring up the fact that one of the projects that Sayo Yamamoto lists as really influential for her is when she was a storyboarder and... Episode director on Samurai Champloo where she was kind of uh, Chichi Watanabe's protege. Um, And I thought it would be interesting to bring it up because last week, Jax, you spoke specifically about anime's issues with appropriating black culture without having black and brown characters on screen. And, you know, I I think that's. And Samurai Champloo is very much a series that I think has influenced Michiko and Hachin. Um, Michiko has a lot of you know, influence from Mugen and Samurai Shampoo is a show that uses a lot of R&B and hip hop uh, and is also, I think, one of the only series I know of aside of the upcoming Golden Kamui that has a main character who is a Japanese racial minority, uh, Mugen, is is Ryukyuan.
2: Oh, no. So that was was something, that was just a big thing for me that I noticed with Samurai Shampoo. like you were saying. I was really stoked when it first came out. I got into it kind of late, because I wasn't quite sure like how I felt about just the complete mashup of appropriation and stuff like that. I really wanted to see like, how they were going to make this happen. But also as a Nujibis fan, I'm like, okay, I'm absolutely obligated to see what he has done. Because I've been a Nujibis, pan- been a Nujibis fan for like, oh my god, years. And so when I heard that he was going to be scoring the music, I'm like, alright, let me see how I feel about this. And let me see what they do with it. Because I'm, a- I'm also a huge history buff. And I love learning about Japanese history and Japanese culture and just everything about it so i was really excited to see what they did with this and when i noticed that they made mugen kind of like and i mean this is just something that you see in all anime and manga no matter what And it's probably not going to change anytime soon but i'd like to work towards changing it is that you associate brown skin with being kind of the more reckless rebellious animalistic one and When I saw, it was so, I felt a way about Mugen at first. I really did, you know, because at first I thought, oh my God, this guy is really hot. He looks like a badass. Like, he's like, he's bad. I can't get over this. This is great. And he doesn't care. Yada, yada, yada. And then like, I had to kind of like switch modes where I'm thinking, okay, let me dissect his character and let me understand like why it is that I can appreciate his character. But there are some aspects of his character that I can't appreciate because as far as any, ask any black kid, Mugen is black is the token black guy he comes from the ryukus which is just you know a prison island you know that can be associated with the ghetto and everything like that that is something that i will say that they did extremely well with in conveying both the similarities of being an outcast within a minority community being part of that same minority community very well. I think something that they also did actually, you know what? As a black person now it's extremely hard to find something wrong with Samurai Champloo. Like I'm talking about like how you used to feel about it, like years ago, but like now it's just like, I think Samurai Champloo is a masterpiece in how they were able to so brilliantly convey just the struggles of, you know, that in fact, brown skin people do face, even though Mugen was Japanese. Like it's so interesting just to kind of look at that aspect But something else that I really did look at as far as, you know, comparing Samurai Champloo to Michiko and Hachin was I noticed the similarities between definitely Mugen and Michiko. They are, they use, I I really, I'm going to go ahead and say this. They Mm. like to play off black sexuality, a lot or brown skin sexuality, however you want to put that. Like, and you look at Mugen who is like almost a complete sexual deviant. Like, not even almost, but it's a complete sexual and that's played off for laughs and i mean he really is and that's played off for laughs and everything like that and that's just you know that's it's a running gag whereas you look at michiko who is a thousand percent sexuality and i always try and look at how black women's sexuality is portrayed when it is being conveyed by non-black people like i want to see how we look at You know, I want to see how other, well, I already know how other, you know, how other tent groups and races and stuff like that tend to see us, but creatively, I want to know how they view us and if it's any different than the media that you see in the West. God, I hope I answered that question.
3: No, I think that's great. (laughs) I would, I want to talk about that a little bit though, because it's, Mm -hmm. it's interesting to me that you pull up Michiko's sexuality, because something that really struck me in these six episodes, um, we encounter Rita, Mm -hmm. who Hannah takes as kind of a Michiko surrogate for a little while. And Rita and Michiko go about things in a totally different way, but with the same kind of outcomes. Michiko doesn't use her sexuality to get what she wants, which I hadn't really clocked before until I saw Rita. Actually, she, she kind of does that, even though she's a 10 year old girl, that's what she does. She goes up to this guy and she's being a cute girl and saying, would you mind covering our lunch? I forgot my wallet, kind of playing cute with him. And then she she gets him to pay for her lunch. Michiko doesn't do that. Michiko threatens people with wrenches. <laughs> and it's just <laughs> yeah. It's just a completely different way to go to go about it. And they both have this kind of fixation on one guy who's not really there for them, but again in a different way and for different reasons. And I, I thought that parallel was really fascinating.
2: No, I agree with you. Um, I would definitely say that, however, overall in the series so far, Michiko knows she is attractive. She knows
3: Mm -hmm. attractive
2: that's what I mean when I say she knows how to use her sexuality to get what she wants like men have a tendency to just so far just how do I want to say this I don't want to say gravitate I just feel like that's the wrong word they're drawn to they're drawn to her exactly and Michiko knows this like I don't think that there's anybody in the series I mean aside from Rita that was disturbing to watch I'll admit that was was extremely disturbing to watch I'm glad you brought Rita up because that was just Mm -hmm. that was bothersome to watch and it was a big turnoff moment for me and then i had to kind of sit back and realize why does this turn me off why is it so upsetting because you realize that as we record this podcast there are 10 year old girls if not younger who are out there doing these things there are 10 year old girls who are being groomed 10 year old you know brown and black girls who are being groomed to think that this is okay to feel like that they have to act this way and I mean, like, just speaking. Uh, I'm starting to get a little bit emotional about this, actually. Just speaking yeah. about being a black woman, and speaking about sexuality and black women's sordid history, and black women and brown women's sordid history with sexuality, and how we have never truly been able to own our sexuality, and our sexuality has been owned by others. We didn't have control or say. I just feel like that is something that I think that's probably one of the one of the more bigger triggers for me as i watch this series is just kind of watching it and and definitely the the scene with rita was just bothersome i'm just like wow this is like not i I don't want to say it's not okay because it's not okay but at the same time it's just like let's look at this and examine it but damn i'm uncomfortable
3: i mean it fits into it fits into a narrative that we're quite used to as well the idea of women charming men into paying for things for Mm -hmm. them Whereas we, to contrast, I'd say you'd have the scene with Michiko where she walks in and they think she's an escort, and she doesn't really do anything with that. She she instantly is like, "No, I'm not. I'm going to kick your ass." Yeah. And that I I really thought for a moment that she was going to play into it and she was going to kind of manipulate the information out of them that she wanted, and that's just not how Michiko does things. And it's yeah, it, it's kind of heartbreaking to, that Rita's situation is the far more. Mm-hmm socially accepted. Rita's situation is the more common one. Rita, Rita's whole story, the whole I call it the circus
1: arc because, you know, everything involving with the circus was such a trigger a yes. triggering thing. But, you know, like Rita's whole story is just really heartbreaking that, you know, she likes, mm. you know, she likes this guy named Gino. But, you know, Gino doesn't see her in, at light. If anything, out of everything, out of everything awful in that whole arc, gino's the only one that actually sees her as a little kid right yeah Uh, yeah yeah, and you know and rita and it's heartbreaking to have to see rita have to you know try to dress up more adult and from what she said she's had to she's been practicing how to talk with older men that Mm -hmm. way gino can see her (laughs) in a more adult light and you know and it's throughout the entirety i was like wow that is a lot of dangerous situations to be in because it could have gone so bad for Rita. And it doesn't help that, you know, her her circumstances are not exactly safe either because we find out that the circus is also involved in child trafficking. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, like, it just really, it's so hard to see that. And when she has that conversation with um, Hana, when they're, you know, they're watching people through the telescope or something like that, it's... um, when she when she's talking about the idea of like asking like a higher being like the statue of Maria for for your dreams to come true, it w- it was just so hard for her for me to see her have to say that at such a young age to s- like um, say that um somet- you know reality you know reality never works out the way you want it to right and I'm just like shit you know mm-hmm. that's that's such a hard thing it was such a hard thing for me to watch have to see this little girl have to Come to terms with with herself, but at the same time, she's still desperate to dream. Right? Mm-hmm. When, you s- when we see her go to the statue, ultimately with Hannah, to try to get to have something work out for her, and then see her chase after that truck, you know, and mm-hmm. see her just collapse and just be so heartbroken. It's just like, oh, uh, all of it was just so. It was just. It was just so. I felt so awful for her. I really had to walk away
3: from that this episode afterwards for a bit to get my mind in order. Yeah. And there was there was one more element of her story that was really kind of grounded in reality. That was the the guy who decided that he should be with her because he's a nice guy. Oh, that guy. That that guy, yeah. And it, you mean the kid you mean the kid? Like
1: the the kid that likes I her? mean the
3: kid. I mean the kid, the guy who's like, I'm a nice guy, talk me up to her and I'll pay you and she should be with me because I deserve her essentially.
1: And oh he was Mas, I think his name was Masao. Mas oh yeah, that yeah, I wrote it down. Masao is such a little shit. I mean like he, <laughs> yeah. uh, Rita, Rita tells him straight up, like, I want nothing to do with you and Masao's just like I you're not the one who will end it, I will. I'm like you know, at such a young age, like, like he's taking ownership of her body, ah. like it to- completely mm-hmm. taking away her, her like, her, her consent and ownership to herself. And I'm just like,
3: oh my god, you are such a shitty little kid. And they've absorbed these scripts, right? They've absorbed what is kind of considered acceptable and normal in society. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: like so far, every single guy in, in the show has just been just much really misogynistic as hell even Gino, even though he even though he looked at Rita as a little girl, as she should be I mean, he still walked away from her leaving her in a very dangerous environment of the circus where you know, she could have been trafficked later on, you know, you don't, we don't know right, so uh, like, you know it's just, yeah
0: it's, yeah, the, the ending to Rita's arc is I, I do appreciate that with, with Masao it doesn't end on the note that obviously she's going to go back to him and things will be okay that way. Like, I appreciate it sidestepping that. But, like, in general, the ending of Rita's arc is so depressing. Because she comes up to, to Hachi and is like, oh, I'm sure we'll see each other again. But also, like, I'm sorry, her options are what? Yeah. Yeah. Like,
1: the circus is gone, you know. Where is she going to go? And, and that's was always so heartbreaking for me. I mean... On some aspect, like I do want to believe she'd be okay, because, you know, she's a very self resourceful um, little girl. But that's the thing; she is a child, and mm-hmm. we've seen through we've seen so far in the show what children have to do in order to survive, and the options are very limited and downright life-threatening. And it's it's just so it's it just like takes me out of that moment, because at least Hachin has Michiko to look after her. Mm-hmm. But
3: who does Rita have? Like, no one really. And- Can we talk about that for a second, though? Because I'm I, this was the first time I got really uncomfortable with the way that Michiko treats Hachin. That first that the first episode is episode seven, mm-hmm. when Hachin like she she hasn't washed her hair, and she gets a slap for it, and then she says there wasn't any shampoo, and she gets a slap for that, and it felt. I don't know, it felt really uncomfortable, but it also felt a little bit out of the blue. It felt a little bit out of character, like Michiko is violent, but the first six episodes, I don't think we've been kind of led to believe that that's the way she reacts to Hana. So is she just becoming more relaxed around her and and letting loose a bit more, or I I don't know. It was, and they're building it up now as kind of she hits because she cares, and that's... I mean, I instinctively
2: cringe against, like, any violence towards kids, like, whenever I have to kind of see it like
3: up front just
2: because of my past history and um i know that and it's it's, okay so i'm really glad you brought that up because something that really bugged me about that is that i was hoping i wouldn't see it but i saw it and that is the angry black mother stereotype oh my god um i talk about this all the time when it comes to black parents and their anger towards their own children yeah you know how they raise children how they treat children you know how many black parents truly feel the corporal punishment is the best way to raise children and uh, i mean yeah black dads get a rep for not being around but when it comes to black mothers the rep is that we are vicious, we are violent we are dangerous we you know we're threats to our own kids and that was something that you know that's also something that i'm trying to not really focus on in you know watching michiko michiko kind of evolve as far as care for her and everything like that but I really didn't like the slap I didn't at all like it was just kind of like a okay watching this watching this watching this and then pow she gets you know popped for something completely innocuous and I'm like well that's triggering because I mean that's how very many you know that's how i was raised that's how a lot of black people were raised that's why the cycle of violence amongst brown and you know in the brown black community perpetuates it's because that's how we were raised that's how our parents were raised etc 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 it's like when it when comes along the generation say you know what this isn't okay this may have been how we were raised but listen this is technically what is abuse and that shit is not okay so yeah i don't really agree with the slap i was uncomfortable with that but it's just like is that how she is, or you're right? Is she becoming like more like? Is that how she just naturally is, or is this just kind of a? This is something we'll never see again in the series because I've seen yeah, it once. We're going to see it again. It's just a matter of when, and I hope we don't. But that's just kind of like how I'm feeling. Like it's going. If we see something like that again, it's just not a matter of. It's just a matter of time. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's a really sour, upsetting scene, and I think part of the law. Lo- quote-unquote
0: the, the logic behind it is that yamamoto loves you know relationships that don't fit necessarily into any mold and so michiko and Hachin's relationship goes back and forth between are they sisters are they friends are they mother and child it, but it, it i don't and michiko is like learning to navigate violence gets her what she wants and other things but clearly you cannot and should not do that with a child but i still think it's a really unpleasant scene
1: it's a good thing you brought it up because, to be honest with you, I didn't really think too much about it. Maybe that's because I'm I, I'm used to I'm used to seeing that kind of parenting or like, or, emo- like parents being emotionally like uh, manipulative in order to get kids to do what they want. But yeah, you're right. It's really it's it's just really disturbing to, to see that and how much I feel like maybe it's normalized in some on some level at least with me. And how, like, because like that's an old school, like, that's an old school way of thinking, but I have heard and seen instances when, like, you know, in order, like, in order for, I, I think somebody put it in a really good way for me is, like, to beat the bad out of the child. Like, mm. it's not, like, like, I, I don't know, like, I had this discussion once with a friend about how there's a difference between that and, ch- like, an actual child abuse where a lot of the violence comes based on cruelty and a lot of th- and and some and a lot of ho- how I guess immigrant parents like I can speak on that uh, on that level how like when they do hit their kids it's based uh, it's based out of like beating out the bad out of the child and and like you know it's like it's a, it's a fucked up mentality but I do see where that c- what that come where that comes from and I and I know it's something like seeing like I have nieces and nephews now like they're being raised very differently compared to how, let's say, I was raised and my sisters were raised, right? But it's something I'm still trying to wor- work through because it's not, it's cringe word. it's cringeworthy to watch, but um, now that you bring it up, but I, I don't know, I just find it interesting how come I didn't realize that
3: uh, mm. until Amelia brought it up, you know, so. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, my parents didn't, didn't hit they didn't hit at all and as a result when I see something like that I mean I I flinch every time I see children being hit on screen because I'm not used to it so it's it's I think your background absolutely has a lot to do with it and the the idea of kind of hitting children as being in any way positive like I've, I feel really resistant to that idea Yeah. No, yeah even yeah it's it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Oh
1: yeah, no, it's a. It's not acceptable, definitely, mm-hmm. and um, and it's a, it's a, f- it's a weird line because like even now, like in regards to you know having to raise, in the context of raising kids now, like uh, a lot of like um, I'm seeing a lot of elders try to interject and in how like some of some of the relatives I have on how they're raising their kids, especially like boys that fall out of line, like um, there, there's a really a lot of internalized misogyny i find and like and like in order to like and reco- like i'm seeing it a lot in terms of like community and families like like trying to instill this idea of like getting boys to shape it up and like g- instilling them a really toxic sen- toxic s- sense of masculinity and that's not okay and i don't support it mm. but i don't know it's a, it's um it's just that uh, when it comes to hitting, there's a lot of layers to talk about when it comes to hitting kids, because I feel like there's a lot of power dynamics happening there about what is acceptable, what isn't acceptable, and what you want the child to learn and what you don't want the child to learn in regards to uh, whatever values the parents have.
0: Toxic masculinity seems like a good door into talking about Satoshi some.
1: Yeah, let's do that.
0: How are y'all feeling? This this is the first time we've really gotten a chance to to see him, as opposed to just hearing him talked about.
1: Ooh, Satoshi! We get a flashback too.
2: We do. A a considerable chunk of them.
1: Yeah, I mean,
2: I had really been kind of interested in seeing him, like finally. I'd been excited to see him finally come to screen. Like I was able to finally put a face to the stories and everything that have been talked about him. You know. What I don't want to say there was a lot said because there was just like it was sprinkled. It was kind of sprinkled throughout. So I was really I was really looking forward to seeing him appear on the screen. And um it was uh Oh god. I want I, I don't wanna call him a bastard. I don't want to call him a bastard, <laughs> but he's a fucking bastard. He's that best friend, quote unquote best friend, that's I feel like every, every, just one sentence describes him. It's a bros before hoes. That's exactly what I thought about him. That's what I thought about his personality, just because of his hatred for Michiko and just feeling like, you know what? You know, if anything goes wrong in my best bro's life, it's because of the woman in his life. And I'm just like, you know what? I know too many people like him, and it's just like, he's such a piece of work. He really is.
1: Yeah, he's, he's just an asshole. I mean, I don't know how... Like, I mean, there's definitely things to talk about with him. I mean his hatred for Michiko and, his, and everybody's weird fascination with Hiroshi, like, you know, Hana's dad. Mm-hmm. Um, like, oh, God, like, you know, I get, I'll get into that later. But with, with Satoshi's backstory, like, it, I don't know, I was remind when I see that and I think of Rita's situation, I think about how limited options, like, you know, black and black-brown children have in the show. And um, in, in Satoshi's case, I mean... Like he had like his idea of surviving the streets were you know killing off Manabe the head the leader of the of uh, the gang in that area where he grew up and uh, obtaining power and that and dominating over everybody and I don't know, like I think throughout all of that I'm thinking, wow, this is a little kid ta- saying all of this mm-hmm. right w- and he has and and it says something about his situation when he was a child that he had no other recourses or options to fall back on but to obtain this position of power by f- by force if need be. And in this case, you know, that means murdering, like, adults twice his age. And, you know, if anything, I'll... Yeah, he's a, he's, he's a mess, but I'll give him credit. I'll give him some credit. I mean, he, you know, he obtained power. I mean, I didn't even know, like, uh, he was the one... Who orchestrated everything that happened in the show? With Michiko landing in prison, with um, with uh, finding out who murdered that other boss, like uh, of the Phantasma. I think that's the name of the gang. Yeah, sure, I'll go mm. with that. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was just surprised to to see how much he really orchestrated all of this, and um, and yeah, I mean, I'll give him that at least. But other than that, like his immense hatred for Michiko is always really like something that's really that leaves a sour note for me and, and I think you'll see that later in the show but yeah and also everyone's weird fascination with Hiroshi just really uh it's interesting
0: to me that they spend almost an entire episode with fake Satoshi before showing us the the real one it I almost get the feeling that they want that uh they're trying to draw a distinction between this fake Satoshi who is who is pulling all of this, this posturing violent action, as opposed to the real Satoshi, who is a bastard, but we've also, we're also spent, given like a lot of time digging into the environment that forced his hand and made him somewhat into this mm-hmm. person. Or that feels like the trajectory of that narrative and that, that, uh, comparison.
1: Oh yeah. No, oh, he's def He's definitely smart. Like I think when I think of, uh, we see fake Satoshi and this and real Satoshi, there's definitely this, bi- this, um, this distinction was made to show that Satoshi is actually a really intelligent guy and he has his hands on a very powerful um, organization behind him right so Mm. um, I'll give him that but yeah I don't want to give him too much credit either because like I I, I don't like him that much (laughs) you know
0: he's a total fucker yeah (laughs) Yeah,
1: he's a total total ass but uh, but
3: I'm trying to be fair but it's uh, (laughs) Yeah. yeah Fake Fake Satoshi, his name was uh, Davi, is that right? Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yes. And they just had that they had that really cold throwaway line in the open. It's the next episode saying, "Oh yeah, his body was found. And mm-hmm. that it was that I think that's something that Mitch Con Hatchin has been quite consistent with is it'll show you these characters it'll flesh them out and might even make some kind of comedy out of them, but the the reality is quite cruel, and mm-hmm. it's quite throwaway. And we had that as well with Pepe's story. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, I, I kind of don't expect people to have happy endings at this point. So I'm not sure what lies ahead for, for Michiko herself and for Hachin. I, it's its starting to feel a little bit darker than I expected going into it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to...
3: Sorry to be a downer, guys. <laughs>
1: oh, no. <laughs> no, no. No, it's not. I
3: mean, it's
1: really hard to feel optimistic considering... All... Everything the characters go through, and and all just the, the ugliness involved. Even okay, I'm gonna bring this up since I'm delaying it. Is um oh, the the, fa- the fascination with e- like everyone has this fascination with Hiroshi, and I when I see that fascination with him, I'm reminded in the circus arc when uh, we find out that you know child trafficking is happening. Like there's the other Michiko, um, who is a. Uh, who is also equally fascinated with hachin because unlike the other children she's white and fair skinned. oh right? my gosh yes mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. like it's just for me when i look at both like michiko and satoshi when i think of haroshi and then i think of this other michiko who um is f- so fascinated with with her with hachin and how she very much ignores the other black and black brown children in her care and just seeing her touch her, and like in the balloon when they're escaping, and like saying you're so fair, you're so beautiful, like she's gonna catch a high price, you know. And it just, it's just like, oh God, this sinners it's just so disturbing to see how much, uh, how much whiteness is desired in the show, right? And even in the the child trafficking business, well, it's, it's, we, is, we we see that it's often white children that sell at a higher price. Than black and black brown children, and uh, it's it's just so disturbing to see. And this is why I kind of uh, <laughs> developed a different opinion of director Azalea, mm. Like earlier in the show, I mean I don't think she's a great person either. But and it cu- <laughs> it could be also like the kids just don't uh, the black and brown child black and black brown children don't sell at a higher price. But I c- also felt like she kept those kids in her care because even though their options in life are very limited at least their op- their options compared to whatever awful fate lies for the children who are who are trafficked right
0: i think this is this is a big t- topic that could go a lot of ways uh, but as long as we're talking about the, the other michiko i think this show writes a really fine line with maybe my biggest problem with with yamamoto's work that yeah. I, I i see her kind of slowly getting over but it's boy, it's pronounced and uncomfortable. Here is this this coating of beauty is goodness is just kind yes. of in there. Like, uh, holy yes, holy shit! Uh, <laughs> like like other Michiko, there's there's the sh- the shot of her as a young a- as a young model, and it's just so like it could have been this this idea of ah, uh, she was. Trafficked and now she is perpetuating that cycle, but then that's never gone into, so it comes across as she used to be hot, but now look at her, she's a fat uggo. No. And I just please oh, stop. Show. Yeah.
2: I will go ahead and say that, and this is just something that I pay, I, I notice. I'm so glad you brought that up because <laughs> it really does play off of the fact that let's look at it this way the most desirable people in the show are 10 our children oh the most desirable people in that show sexually are children and it's horrifying because this gives mm -hmm. off the message hey the older you get the uglier you get and the older we're not gonna watch once you're old and used it's just like so you mean to tell me that these children who are exposed to horrific life experiences who you guys consider attractive like i shudder to think i just hate thinking i just hate thinking about child trafficking in general yeah. when you think about the fact that oh my god listen hannah's being praised oh my god you're so pretty that's why i always cringe when you get these old ass dudes in real life or anything oh, like, oh yeah you're gonna be real pretty when you grow up i'm like can you please not look at my five year old niece or what have you that's so <gasps> creepy literally all i hear you telling me is that you cannot wait to fuck this five-year-old when she's 18 which isn't in that many years but this is literally what i'm hearing you want to get her when they're young and vulnerable and impressionable and then you oh am i saying too much i'm sorry i get rude no no, no no it's uh, no, <laughs> no it's, not it's, at all no
1: it's it's fair this, it's
2: fair because this I, is I, worth being rage at
1: yeah because the thing i've been in pro i've been in proximity to like men like this like there's this there's this, this child i knew back when i was visiting a relative in bolivia mm. and oh my god like i've been in proximity of men like that who were lusting after her from like age appropriate to like fucking thirty. oh my and... god
2: i know it's like i have been like that yeah. in my family and it disgusts me i'm just it's, like, y'all do know it's, that this it's... is not okay right? it's just
1: dis- it's disgusting because eventually when one of these assholes were called out and thankfully reported he was like he the excuse was like he thought he was like you know he thought she was 16 i'm like that doesn't make it better. that doesn't make it so better of all first of know? all wait a second that, <laughs> that is never like... an excuse <laughs> You, yeah. you know, uh, you know, and it's just like, you know, and all these, all these, oh, it was just really gross. And on top of that, this fascination a lot of these guys had that she was very white passing too was, uh. Uh, it was just so gross to see. It's like, oh gosh, it was, I've been in proximity to like men like that. And it's really disgusting to see. And it's it's awful. And
3: yeah. How old is bitchiko supposed to be? At least
0: i would guess that she's supposed to be in her late 20s given the timeline the time frame if we assume she was young when she met hiroshi
3: because we have i mean it's not she's not a child but there was the um the other light-skinned character of these six episodes was the hairdresser anastasia oh yes we have this whole yeah we have this whole situation where her kind of philandering husband um he flirted, he pursues michiko (sighs) I mean, he doesn't just flirt, does he? He actively, yeah. like, she, he tells her, I'm going to come to your room. I'm going to knock. If you don't answer, I'll take the hint. That is not what happens. He just walks straight on in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, that was, that was like, whoa. But then there's this moment a, a little bit later when he's he, he says something like, should I stop or something? And she's like, I don't know. And I thought, okay, at least there's a consent check-in. But it seems like he's got this, he's got this white wife basically who she's quite clear on the deal between them it seems he 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 likes to be pursued himself he likes to be kind of caught and kind of I don't know reconfined or whatever that seems to be his deal but he's he leaves his book he doesn't leave his wife he pursues Michiko who seems to be younger than his wife I just got that impression from the way they were drawn so it's, it. I don't know, that seemed to be one story where they were kind of expressing this dynamic a little bit. I
2: am literally rocking back and forth because I could not wait to talk about Anastasia Michiko. I could not wait. <laughs> that was at the top of my list. I was waiting for this.
1: Do it. Excellent. So Do it. It's on my it's on my list. God, just
2: Go where to it. begin. Okay, first of all, I think the one thing that bothered me mm-hmm. more than anything, seeing Anastasia, you really feel bad for her because, she, she, you know, she is this white woman who is absolutely you know what let me let me go ahead and phrase this another way uh and one that people actually might be able to understand everybody knows the starfire dick grayson and barbara gordon dynamic right (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) like everybody laughed (laughs) um so i didn't really pay attention to this until maybe early of last year but every time i see that dynamic i think of the uh old not even old but very true stereotype of white women being afraid to lose their significant other to an exotic woman there was a horror there was a horror movie that surrounded this whole trope of oh my god my usually white husband is with this Brown black girl, I'm about to lose my fucking mind. Like that, that there was an entire movie about it. I couldn't believe it it was real recent, like two thousand and seven or something like that.
3: Vry, right, this feels like one. Oh my god. god. You oh. will get the biggest kick out of this movie. Oh my god.
1: I need to see I need to see this. Oh gosh, but
0: <laughs> it, it it sounds like a number of movies I've heard of, but again there there are many of them
2: so the trope that's something that something that you will always notice within things like this is that you've got the white wife and then you've got okay let's talk about let's talk about this let's talk about that stereotype from the get-go no matter what I mean who's who saw Django unchained out of sheer curiosity I I yes. did yeah
1: I, I did <laughs> I couldn't do it just because I just couldn't <laughs> just
2: like I no. I have feelings about that movie but for the most part I'll give it, like thumbs up because I mean it was just ridiculous. But, um, you notice that, um, the landowner, what, what was, what was, Candy, candy. yeah, whatever is the Calvin Candy, Leonardo DiCaprio's mm-hmm. character, his sister, was constantly trying to go after the doctor who was white, but the doctor kept shaft, well, not shafting her, but, you know, kept, like, pushing, putting her off in favor of Brune Hill for obvious reasons. But the fact that, you know, something that I really like about this dynamic, sorry, I just completely, just, my thoughts were just completely scattered. Um, something that I really do like about this (laughs) dynamic something that I really do appreciate with Anastasia and Michiko was that it does point to the fact that when it comes to interaction between black women and white women particularly in matters of love and relationships and stuff like that you've got the dynamic of well actually you know I'll go ahead and say this flat out and this is going to be very blunt but Anastasia is honestly the type of white woman that a lot of black men go for she's and this is just from my experiences, and I promise you, if you ask other black women, you know, you will get a very close response to this. But the one thing I noticed by Anastasia is that she is exactly the type of white woman or white woman that black men will say, you know, will say, will use against black women, so to speak. Like, you know, I uh, you know, black women are too independent. Black women are this, black women are that. You know, black women don't know how to act. Black women are too strong. Black women are da 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 And so then you've got Anastasia here, who is literally the walking embodiment of how very many... Oh, God, how do I say this? About that submissiveness in white women that black men desire, that is Anastasia. So the fact that she mm. was, quote-unquote, threatened... By a much younger Michiko and uh, who was also a woman of color. So, of course, she's exotic and different. I don't know. I just thought that she was a very interesting character. Like, and I felt really bad for her. And a couple of Mm -hmm. things on a couple of stances, like, way more than I expected to feel bad for, to be perfectly honest with you. But the fact that she's (laughs) very, uh, I guess, not so much understanding, but just complacent of it. It's just like, girl, I just hate that that dynamic was just played at, so to speak. Right.
0: Well, I think there's an, a motif that's brought up in this episode that keeps recurring throughout the series that I actually really wanted to talk about is this is the, uh, it was in Pepe Lima's episode as well, is this idea that there are constantly uh, novelas, or is there a different term in, in Brazil? Um, but, but soap operas.
1: Yeah, no, novelas is generally the term used everywhere, but people will get what you're talking about. Yeah, novelas are really long, but and overdramatic
0: but yeah gotcha um but but yeah like soap operas or movies or things on the tv are given a lot of prominence and it's as though this uh, there's this i or like when um michiko is kicking davi's ass and there's this kung fu movie in the background that deliberately mirrors her shots and there's this idea that these characters lives are imitating what they've seen on television and what, what these these narratives they're given so you have this this woman who is well this, you know, the soap opera is, is the philandering man and the patient woman, who, and but eventually he'll come back. And so, you know, I guess I'm mirroring that in real life and perpetuating this. And I find that a really interesting dynamic, especially with the focus on Hiroshi, who is this character who might as well not even be real. He is what people want or need him to be in, in their lives.
1: Yeah, and I think um, typically novellas in general have a happy ending, right? I mean, they're really mm-hmm. long and over- over the top and there's a lot of violence sexual violence in particular in a Mm -hmm. lot of novellas that people don't really like to point out and talk about Mm -hmm. in particular towards like black afro-indigenous and indigenous characters in in novellas but Mm -hmm. typically they have a happy ending and the happy ending is always like oh that that marginalized character has assimilated to a higher class right and Mm and um for me when yeah, like I was thinking a lot about Michiko in this in these episodes where she's so like she so desperately wants to believe like Hiroshi loves her or still loves her, right? Like you have mm-hmm. um that philandering husband, his name is Bruno. Um there's Bruno who, you know, asks him asks her point blank like do you think that uh that uh, he he loves you? And then later on when she's sick and is having hallucinations thanks to that very fake very fake doctor like you know she's almost having like I feel like a panic attack the, like imagining the reality of like what if Hiroshi like doesn't even love me and actually has moved on right like like Michiko so desperately is like wants to have a happy ending cause you know as we've seen so far in the show reality is so much harsher for a lot of the characters to bear with right Mm-hmm.
2: mm-hmm.
1: So, I don't know, that's what I think of when uh when you brought that up. So,
3: thanks for that, right? I mean, I saw this th- this one actually I saw it as showing Michiko as being kind of more romantic than I would have expected. Um that that whole episode, that really resonated with me, I think, where she I don't know, I th- I don't think i ever been so relatable to me as when she's in this position where she's like, I feel one way but I don't know how to act and I'm not sure if I'm doing the right thing and why did I come out here and see if he was here? I didn't want to do that. And she's just kind of confused and not sure how to deal with it. But she ends up kind of just doing what feels right at the time. and she's, She says these things in there, like, what, imagine if you were like a fish and you could just do whatever you wanted all the time. And I was like, don't you already? Know? <laughs> she's... <laughs> But she doesn't, like, she feels like she's got this kind of mission to find Hiroshi and that he's kind of the one. And she's built him up now as this, this, this kind of almost like a myth. So if he is dead or if he is with somebody else, I'm not quite sure how she'll cope. And this is the first time we really see her kind of. Going outside that possibility herself. And I thought that was quite nice, actually, that we do see her considering stepping outside those boundaries a bit rather than just staying fixated on this guy that she's been sort of focused on for the last, what, 10 years mm-hmm. or something?
1: Yeah, yeah, 10 years or so.
0: But but yeah. feeling really guilty about it at the same time, yes. because this is not the narrative. This is not the love story. She has to go after exactly. him and be singularly devoted. And how dare she not <laughs> want to <laughs> hang on to this guy who may be dead? <laughs> yeah like it, it hurts to see her like be angry at herself for something she shouldn't be angry at herself mm-hmm. for
3: I loved it I absolutely loved it like there are so many times where Michiko has been quite <clears throat> unrelatable yeah. for me I think whereas this episode I was like right there with her <laughs> <laughs> it's like I would feel the same as you Michiko and it was and the the fact that she's she's so hard-edged you know she's so kind of worldly wise and she just kind of uses violence to get what she wants and this guy just there's something about him that draws him draws her to him and she said this about Hiroshi as well when they go and see this guy that she thinks is Hiroshi based on her street art and she's like that's not him you can't replicate that cool and she clearly has this this kind of aura that she's attracted to this kind of cool swagger and bruno has that mm. and she as soon as she's just around that they don't exchange a single word they just they have that cigarette exchange and don't say anything and then when he does talk to her later and he's like, I love you, Michiko. And that clearly is enough to sway her. And it was just such a beautiful character episode. I really appreciated that.
1: Yeah. And I don't think we, I don't think we've talked much about Hachin, but I think this is where um, I started to appreciate more of her character a little, mm-hmm. that I like that she sees that Michiko is clearly hurting, like she's vulnerable, she w- you know, she's desperately wanting this happy ending for herself, but I like that, um, seeing how Hachi sees that in her, and wants to take care of her. Because, you know, Michiko go- goes through a lot of awful things. I mean, she gets beat up. I mean, the amount of violence she goes through in these in these six episodes is so much to bear for me, but yeah, I, mm-hmm. ap- I appreciate that, even though Hachi shouldn't have to do it, to take care of the adult in her life, because that's just putting a lot of pressure on her, but I do appreciate seeing this different type of love coming from Hachin to Michiko. I don't know. I feel like Michiko needs that in a way, way more than ah, uh, than she is the
3: romantic love that she's chasing after. I really, yeah, I really appreciated Hachin's character in these episodes too, but from a slightly different perspective. Like, I like that she was kind of angry with Michiko, and she's she's not really afraid mm-hmm. to express that. Where, which when you consider her upbringing, where she was in this environment where she couldn't speak out for so many years and mm-hmm. she couldn't really express anger, she wasn't free to do that. And now she's in the situation with Michiko where she can be quite open when she's frustrated and when she's she's furious and even when it doesn't seem reasonable or like she's she's not afraid of repercussions, even though she gets them sometimes. And it's... it's I don't know how to say it because it's still not quite a healthy relationship, but it feels like she's moving in the right direction.
1: Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. they're still getting to know each other. I've been keeping yeah. time of uh, of how long they've gone to know each other. This series started in March, and so far at the end of this, these episodes, it's like the end of April. So, yeah. so it's like two months so far in the context of the show that... Um, that they've, they've traveled and gotten to know each other. So they are opening up. It's not healthy, but you know, at least like um, it's going somewhere, you know? Because mm-hmm. um, what's her name, Alexandria? Uh, like that, you know, that lady? Well, mm. she was really being passive aggressive with, with Hachim, but I think she brings up an interesting point when she was washing her hair about how- Oh, Anastasia. Yeah, Anastasia, okay, her name is Anastasia, yeah. okay. When she was washing her hair, that um, that oftentimes the people who are the most closest to each other fight often, and meanwhile, mm-hmm. her and her husband haven't fought in years, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm. I mean, granted, I didn't like that she was saying all these passive ag- aggressive things to a child, but okay. <laughs> but I just thought that was an I- interesting thing to note. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't. It's not a yeah. It's not healthy. It's not a healthy relationship, but it's going somewhere. That's hopefully mm-hmm. going to be much more healthy than what we see now.
3: But I question how healthy Anastasia's <laughs> nose is. <laughs> knows as well. oh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm not sure that should be held up as No, no, no. Like,
1: no, no, no. I meant like for Michiko and Hachin. Like uh, that relationship will hopefully be much healthier than whatever they,
3: whatever Gino and <laughs> and although I mean you know I'm saying that, but at the same time there was an element of me once once Anastasia said he likes it. He he actually wants me to go and scoop him up in my net. And I thought, oh, is that that's just how your relationship works, okay. And as long as both partners kind of understand that's the deal and are somewhat comfortable with it, um, who am I to judge? But it's, I, I, I didn't get a read from these episodes of how true that is, but she seemed to clock very quickly that Michiko was someone that her husband would be interested in. And while she seemed surprised to see the cigarettes in Michiko's room, she didn't react to it in a way of somebody who was... Mm-hmm. Kind of not encountered this situation before, I guess. Yeah. So it's, I, I don't know, maybe that's that's kind of their pattern, maybe that's just the relationship they have, in which case, yeah, I guess that's as healthy as anything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just,
1: I, I strive, I hope for Michiko and Hachi to have a way better relationship than whatever, <laughs> like, yes. happy relationship, yes. whatever <laughs> happy relationship, whatever relationship Anastasio and um, Anastasia and uh, Bruno have. So.
0: I I was structurally really glad that they spend a lot of this six episode stretch apart because one of the things I find really important in these these characters are thrown together and they learn to rely on each other's stories is I like for there to be a break where they then have to choose to seek out Mm -hmm. each other's company. I, I think that's really important to breaking starting over and having it be more open and chosen and also like. Hachin is one of those characters where it's on the one level you realize, yes she's a child and she's angry and she's sometimes irrational because she's a child and of all she's been through. But at the same time, sometimes she's really obnoxious and just there to be the stick in the mud virtuous kid who yells at Michiko for just trying to live her life. (laughs) And it's great to see her get away from that, which I, I feel like is the goal of the circus arc.
3: Although I kind of wish, I, I completely take your point, right? although I kind of wish that when Hachin chose to be with Michiko at the end, it was because of something more positive than literally escaping yeah. child trafficking. Yeah. 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 It's- <laughs> it would have been nice if she'd been in a somewhat stable situation and actually Michiko was somebody she wanted to spend mm-hmm. time with actively. But we didn't mm-hmm. quite get that. But we did get that vice versa. Like, Michiko does now think of her relationship with Hana as very important to her. I think that we've really seen that come out in the last set of episodes and in these sets of episodes. So that's, I mean, that's really nice to see um, as well. I like,
2: just uh, want to yeah. throw in real quick. Michiko and uh, Hachin's relationship uh-huh. reminds me kind of um, Misato and Shinji's from Evangelion. Oh. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. You just in the that. sense that. that she's that. trying to balance kind of am i a parent am i a sister like what am i to her like i don't know that was just something that i noticed plus they both dress like in red and they're both kind of wild types so i don't know <laughs> it's interesting i i'm very curious to see where this goes because the one thing i do i would like to see is kind of a uh i almost said a happy end but i mean there really can't be a happy end of the show i just don't see it <laughs> yeah uh, it's
1: it's hard i mean can we talk about Atsuko? Yes, <laughs> I, yes. I, I was yes. going
0: to insist that we talk about Atsuko before we go because we're going a little long. But yes, damn it, let's please, I love please, her please, so please. much.
1: Please let's let's talk about her because I love her and I hate Ricardo. <laughs> Ricardo. It's it's so interesting
0: to me that like you know after this uh, Yamamoto went on to do the woman called Fuchiko Mine, which of all the things I love about that show, Zenigata is easily the weakest part, and here is Atsuko who is who is very much in that mold of the dogged inspector who is prob- who is definitely totally in love with the person they're pursuing who like uh, consumes their life. M- my favorite well my favorite stretch of her with with her is kind of coming up but I'm just my heart is so continually broken by this <clears throat> stretch where where she like she faces consequ the consequences for this which is a- abnormal for her character archetype. Like she loses her job and we spend a lot of time with like cracking that that sort of Thin veneer ice that she was living on, where she was a professional, but there was so much, you know, racism and sexism in in her position, and that just waiting to come for the chance to come up and undermine her. And then her feelings for Michiko, uh, like, are what do her in, but she doesn't, she does and doesn't seem to regret that. And oh my God, she's just (laughs) so good.
3: I did wonder, actually, like, which the consequences that she faced, there was a part of me that was like, is it because she's a black woman? Uh... Is that. Is that why she's experiencing this mm. kind of weight of consequences? Would a, would a more senior white man have got away with stuff like Never. that? Never. I don't know. Then,
2: Never. And
1: then, yeah. And Ricardo got, and If you like you mentioned earlier, how we find out in the next episode via news what happens to all these other characters. Yeah, Ricardo got like a promotion and he got mm-hmm. credit for whatever bust that yeah. they did in the last episode and well Atsuko like we're we're told that she's going to be facing consequences of corruption and it's it's so hard to see cuz she's such a great character who is very nuanced layered she's clearly in love with Michiko and that love and that love is what ultimately uh, like allows her t- to let Michiko go escape and find whatever answers that she's looking for but she takes the heat for it and Ricardo pretty much straight's out like says it out loud about what he thinks of Atsuko like he hates that he's under the command of a younger woman and Mm -hmm. um, and he's just tired of being her lackey he has very petty dreams about paying off his mortgage it's like (laughs) you know like there's so much misogyny and shittiness come like from that interaction I didn't honestly I didn't think he was going to be a relevant character when I first watched this Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah But, but yeah he took me by surprise and you know like but Atsuka wasn't didn't look that surprised either like she probably has known something like this was gonna happen like folks had there like folks are out to like undermine her demote her because she's pretty high ranking in the police force I think I I don't
3: but then we have to but then we have to raise the point that she didn't actually do her job she raised all these these forces to go and arrest Michiko and then she has the opportunity and she lets her go And like, that's, (laughs) I think that's really frustrating. It's like, she's actually in the wrong. So she does, I think she gets much worse consequences than she deserves, but she definitely, like in a way they were kind of right to suspect that she wouldn't do the job right. And, you know, there's a conflict of interest there. She grew up with Michiko, why would people expect that she could kind of stare down her childhood friend and arrest her? I, I don't know why they've put her in that position or why she's ended up in that position, but I'm, it, it wouldn't be surprising to me that people would doubt or question whether she'd be able to do the deed when the time came.
0: It, it is interesting to see her as a foil to Satoshi as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- these two characters who have known, you know, um, who have known this other person since childhood and have risen to the heights of some kind of structure of power and found it to be, a very precarious place that wasn't as fulfilling as maybe they'd hoped it would be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, I think Satoshi and Atsuko actually knew each other. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they, they called through each other via fu- cell phone. So mm-hmm. it's, uh it's frustrating. It's frustrating to see that, you know, like Atsuko probably worked really hard to get where she's at and, you know, for that to be challenged. And of course, you know, her personal feelings involving Michiko has put her in a really, in a situation where I don't know if she can come back mm-hmm. from that, right? And she's also put her connections with, uh, with um, like the like Satoshi and other folks she might know in the community in jeopardy too. So
0: yeah, it's it's a, her her arc is so like it seems to hang very much on this sense of like how much does this bond mean to her and is there anything there? Because this is a series about past versus present versus you know, what do you choose to let go? What is harmful? What is helpful to you? And it it hurts to think that, that Michiko maybe doesn't actually value this bond but knows Atsuko does.
1: Yeah. I, I hope we see more of that in the future to see what exactly like how Michiko actually views their relationship because you know, Atsuko has given up so much for her thus far, you know, and I hope that I hope in some level that, that feeling is reciprocated
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What,
0: uh, so I guess to, on that note what are you guys hoping for in the next we'll actually be watching five episodes next time since this is 22 episodes instead of 24 so what are your hopes
2: I <clears throat> excuse me oh my gosh I just hope to see mm-hmm. oh god I, I want to see just more growth I want to see, I want to see Hana be a kid. I want to really see Hana be allowed for at least five minutes to be a kid because I just don't see Hana and I don't see a kid. I see a, uh, I see an adult mm-hmm. in, like, uh, however Hana is, old is supposed to be. Like, I want to see more of that yeah. obnoxious child, like, impiness. <laughs> and I want to see Michiko let Hiroshi go. I'm like, girl, you are literally holding on to him. And just, I, I was happy to see the break, but I just want to see her let go of him, like, for good like because it is clear that she has no other goal in life upsetting i get that you want to be happy yes i understand that you want to be happy but at the same time like i i hate that she is so focused on him like i don't even mean focused i mean Mm -hmm. she is obsessed whatever is stronger than obsessed is what michiko is and i want to see like i just want to see like more growth and I just want to see a bit more justice in this show. I'm asking for a lot, given what we've already been talking about. But I want to see a somewhat, even if it's bittersweet to an end, I want to kind of just see closure out of this series. Because I mean, after everything this series <laughs> is taking me through emotionally and mentally, everything I have to assess and break down and just, you know, in general, it's just like I'd like to see some kind of balance over the next couple of episodes where we know it's going to go right. But at the same time, I don't want to lose the excitement of not knowing what's going to happen. What about you, Lizzie?
1: Oh yeah, I mean in general I'd like to see all the kids in this show be allowed to be children. And um yeah, like I hope to see a more healthy relationship between Michiko and Hachi and I want Michiko to start seeing that there are other more important relationships in her life that she can hold on to than this idealized relationship she is imagining with Hiroshi. I I'd like for her to see that that's not healthy and that she should let him go and i i hope that that's done in a way that's psychologically healthy for her because we've seen how how not how she didn't re- really she didn't really react well at the idea of Hiroshi being with someone else so i like to see more of that i like to see more of atsuko i want to see those two develop more yeah so I'm hoping for a bittersweet ending. Like I, I, you know, so that's as much as I can hope for with this show.
0: (laughs) How about you, Amelia?
3: I think character growth is the big one. For Michiko and Hachin specifically, I mean, we've started to see Michiko rub off on Hachin a little bit when she decides to go after the the fake doctor with like a pipe <laughs> and just like vandalize her way out of her bill. So Michiko's starting to rub off on Hachin a little bit. That shot is so um, good. <laughs> but it would be nice to see that work vice versa as well. Like Hachin has made her thoughts very clear to Michiko that she's not happy with kind of just threatening their way out of money, ironically. Um and she's she would like to to see Michiko kind of conduct herself more ethically. She'd like to see she'd like to just it seems like she'd like to kind of enjoy travelling around with her a bit more. And right now she's tense. She's stressed and she's frustrated and that's why she's so angry all the time. So it would be really nice to see Michiko like be willing to start paying for things, for example, and work more. Like we always see Hachin taking on these jobs. And like part-time jobs wherever they go, just to earn some cash. And Michiko doesn't seem to do that, so maybe that's that's a change we'll get to see. But it would. I also really want to see more of Atsuko now that she's got this pressure off her. I mean, for anyone who's seen Avatar: Last Airbender, it's like when Zuko walks away from the military, and it's like, oh, yes. now we get to see who you are. Uh, Brilliant. Yeah. Like that's that's what I want. I think there's. I've got anime examples too, but I can't remember any of them off the top of my head. So Zuko, it is. <laughs> But I really want to see more of Atsuko, like, get to know her better. I do hope Satoshi comes back. I want to see more of him and dig into their history a bit more between the three of them. Also, also I want to add, for all the mm-hmm. listeners out
1: there, please don't go to a doctor referred to you by two <laughs> guys. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I, just, I, I just want I just want to emphasize, yeah, there are folks who, like, you know, who do curand, curandismo and, like, santeria. But the thing is, to find those folks... It takes a lot of work to find legit folks. Don't listen to tourist guides. Don't go to the watches <laughs> market. If you plan on visiting Sa- South America and the Caribbean, those are often places to scam tourists. Finding like, folks who know what they're doing actually takes effort. So, <laughs> like, just so you know. <laughs> Good
0: to know. Oh, well,
3: Hannah, she doesn't know any better. <laughs>
0: oh. God, that whole episode, We could. we could be here another like 20 minutes talking about that whole fucking thing
3: <sighs> oh, yeah we didn't Oof. even talk about her dream sequence or anything
0: i love okay. the good surrealism but ah we're running long <laughs> yes let's, let's curses. Move on. <laughs> okay. but yes uh thank you so so much as always uh to the three of you for being here i this this is i'm really quite proud of the discussion that you that that that, that, that nope words bad <laughs> um, I, I, I'm really proud that Anime Feminist is able to put this out, and, and much of that is thanks to the discussion you have brought, so thank you again. I can't say it enough.
3: Yeah, seconded. Yeah. Yes.
0: Alright, uh, so let's get to the closing spiel. If you liked this episode, you can find more episodes of Chatty AF on SoundCloud. If you like our, want to hear more from our contributors, including uh, Jacqueline and Lizzie, you can always find us at AnimeFeminist.com we also have a Patreon, which helps pay the bills. We're really working on ramping that up to be able to expand what we do, our content, how much we pay our contributors and our editors, and to just be able to shore up what we do in the future. That's patreon.com slash animefeminist. Even a dollar a month really, really means a lot. That's kind—that's the kind of sustainable stuff that's going to keep us going. As far as social media, you can find us on facebook.com slash animefeminist. Uh, you can find us on Tumblr at animefeminist.tumblr.com and you can also find us on Twitter at twitter.com animefeminist. If you are watching along with us, next time again we'll be watching five episodes instead of six so it will be episodes 13 through 18 and we hope to see you there. Take care!